0: Week talking to you on the subject of why we believe. Last week we talked about why we believe in God. Now let me remind you that I've told you that there is no way that in one sermon I'm going to be able to cover in depth any of these subjects. I'm going to be talking about the Bible today, next week we're going to be talking about biblical morality, the week after that traditional families, and then the last we're going to be talking about America. So there's no way to in depth cover that, so we're going to be giving you resources as we go through this, places that you can go, books you can buy, etc. that can help you. Today we're going to be talking about why we believe in the Bible. So would you take your Bibles and go to the book of 2 Timothy, the third chapter, and as you're doing that let me greet our, our campuses that are joining with us today my name is Eddie Couples I'm the lead pastor for Love and Truth Ministries and I'm thankful that you are part of what God is doing through Love and Truth Churches today I believe God has a word for you so would you get ready to receive what God's word says to each and every one of us the book of 2nd Timothy today uh, the third chapter beginning in verse 16 reading verse 16 and 17 says all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking correcting And training in righteousness so that the man of God, the person of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, we're talking about why we believe in the Bible. Why do we base our lives on the Word of God? Why is that? Is is it not just another book that's been put together? Uh, You know, what evidence is there to believe that the Bible is truly inspired of God? How do we know this? I mean, it's been passed from generation to generation. It comes to us. It's a conglomeration of books that have been put together. It's written in different places, different all those things. How do we know? How can we empirically know, but also how can we spiritually know that this is the Word of God? And so today I'm going I'm to try to show you some things that hopefully can help you to begin to understand how supernatural it is to be able to hold this thing that we refer to as the Bible and to know that God has placed it together he has put it together so that you and I can have a guidebook for life and know how to be in relationship with Jesus Christ the first aspect that I want to talk about today is the uniformity of the Bible if you take the Bible the Bible is a collection of 66 books that were written over a period of 1600 years a span of forty generations. Now think about that: sixteen hundred years, sixty-six books. They're written by approximately forty authors who come from every walk of life. Moses is a political leader. He's trained in, in the universities of Egypt. Peter, he's a fisherman. Amos is a herdsman. He takes care of sheep. Joshua is a military general. I mean, I mean, think about all of this. Nehemiah, the Bible says, is a cupbearer to the king. Daniel is a prime minister. Luke is a physician. He's a doctor. Solomon's a king. Matthew, he's that dreaded tax collector. He's the IRS guy. Paul, the Bible says, was a tent maker and a rabbi. Now, all of these people are coming from so many places, so many different backgrounds, and yet, when you begin to read the Bible, you see that there is uniformity in the Word of God. Not only do over 40 authors write the Word of God, but they're written in different places. Moses, when he's writing, is in the wilderness. Jeremiah, how many of you have ever read the book of Jeremiah? That's a depressing book. I mean, don't you, let me stop for a second. Don't you think that if God called you into the ministry and and he immediately told you, I'm calling you into the ministry, but I want you to know nobody's going to like you and nobody's going to get saved. You just say, I'm out right? I'm gone. I, I, have, I don't want anything to do with it. And, and Jeremiah writes from a dungeon. Daniel's on the hillside, uh, you know, and, and in a palace. Uh, Paul is inside prison. Most of Paul's writings are from inside prison. Paul writes two-thirds of the New Testament, and most of it's written from a jail cell. Luke writes, uh, the book of Luke and the book of Acts, and he does that while traveling and, and going through different areas in different times. The book of Revelation, John, uh, on the Isle of Patmos, and in, in exile away from everybody writes the book of revelation Uh, others of them are in the middle of of the rigors of military battle and on and on and on and so you see as all of these things take place what what happens is is that there is the the process that that all of these things from different writers in different places these books have a uniformity they're written at different times they're written even in different moods how many of you of you have ever had a bad day Anybody? I mean, you know, just, just one of those days. Well, David writes a lot of his writings are written in a time of war or in a time of running for his life. D- David has some bad moments. I mean, David says, you know, he's, he, he talks about uh, w- wanting God to kill people. Now, that's, that's a bad mood. Right? I mean, really. When, when, when you start saying, God, would you kill somebody, you, you're not in the best of places. Uh, you, you know Solomon Solomon as he writes you know he writes in a time of peace from a palace and, and his writings kind of take on on that whole aspect of, of from the palace throne room that he's writing from uh, some of the writings of scripture are written in times of great great joy Others of them are written in times of despair, in doubt, in sorrow, and in agony. But what you find is, is that no matter where and what the attitude was of the Word of God, that it is written, that it flows together, that there's a uniformity to it, that it comes together quite clearly, and it all, I I had a a teacher in college uh, that she taught Old Testament, and she'd been teaching Old Testament for 120 years at least. And you would walk into her classroom, and she had, had this sign. And I bet that sign was older than, I know it was older than I was at that point. I was like 20 years old. It, this sign said, I see Jesus. There was a telescope on it. It said, I see Jesus in the Old Testament. And we all would make fun of that. But you know what? The more I've studied the Word of God, the entirety of the Word of God is about Jesus. It's about salvation. It's about coming into relationship with God Almighty. And as I read, whether it's the book of Genesis or the book of Revelation or somewhere in between, as you read it, what you are finding is is you're finding out about a God who loves you, who cares for you, and who has a plan to change your life and to bring you in relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what the Word of God is all about. And so there's this whole uniformity. You know, it's written in three continents and three different languages. It's Part of the Word of God is written in Asia. Part of it's written in Africa. Part of it's written in Europe. It's written in Hebrew. It's written in Aramaic. It's written in Greek. Some of you are studying that now in college and and some of those kind of things. But you know what? doesn't matter where it was written, what the language was that it was written in, what you find is, again, that it flows together. Now, here's what's interesting. Think about this for a minute. When you read the Word of God, there's a lot of controversial topics in the Word of God, right? Come on. I mean, there's there's a lot of things in the Word of God that, that you could get in some serious discussion with. That's a good way to say argument, all right? There's, there's all of these things. I mean, the, the Word of God talks about the origin of man and the universe. It talks about the nature of God. I mean, I mean, when you start talking about the nature of God, have, have you ever heard somebody try to explain the Godhead? Well, there's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And, and then they'll say, well, you know, it's like water. It's vapor, it's a solid, and it's a liquid. Well, God's not, God's not water right? Well, it's like an apple. You know, there's the core, and then there's the part you eat, and then there's the skin, but it's all one. I go, well, God's not an apple. I mean, the nature, we, we can't understand that, but the Scripture talks about it, and what's great about it is, wherever it talks about it, there's a uniformity to it. The, the Old Testament talks about, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, He is one. The New Testament talks about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but it also goes back and says, and all of these are one. And so when, when you begin to understand that, you, you begin to see all these subjects that are in Scripture, the nature of man, the sin that man fell into, man's redemption, all of these are in there, and yet what you find is, is that there is harmony and unity when you read the Word of God. Now, you can nitpick and you can try to make things, you know, well, I don't know about this. But if you read the Bible as a whole, what you find is is that there is this whole aspect of of basically, to say it this way, of, of the book of Genesis where paradise is lost to the book of Revelation where paradise is regained. It's it's the whole journey of mankind. It's God creating man, putting him in a garden, man sinning, and then the next 65 books are talking about how God is in the process of redeeming us and giving us back in the book of Revelation everything that was taken away from us. and and so there's this whole continuity there's there's all of this that takes place in the word of god and so as as you begin to understand that you you begin to see that the word of god brings us all of these things even in the midst of these controversial subjects now now imagine let's do let's do a, a real quick study here imagine what would happen if i would pick out 66 people in this room or in one of our other campuses i'd pick out 66 people and i would tell you okay here is a subject i would give you the subject of uh marriage and i would say okay i want you i don't want you to talk to each other i don't want you to spend time with each other i'm going to give you 10 years to write a book on marriage how many of you know that those 66 books would have some controversy There would be some things that would not flow together. There there would be all kind of issues. What you would have is a conglomeration of ideas. There would not be harmony in it. Why? Because this person is going to speak from their paradigm. This person is going to speak from their insight. I mean, you're going to have all of these things that are happening and that are going forward. But the Word of God, when you look at the Word of God, the Word of God has harmony. You're taking all of these people and you're bringing them together and you find out that there is unity in the Word of God. The Word of God has unity. So you know what? Here's what I know about the Word of God. The reason for that is is because God is the author. The the, the Bible's clear about that. The Bible says, in the book of 2 Peter, the first chapter, verse 20 and 21, he says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But watch, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, Do do some of the writings sound different? Yeah. Do do you remember in the New Testament where the Apostle Peter says about the Apostle Paul, he says some of his writings are kind of tough to understand. And they are. Why? Because the Apostle Paul, if we were to use today's uh, kind of analogy, the Apostle Paul was educated in an Ivy League school. He went to seminary, uh, you know, in the you know Princeton or Yale or somewhere like. He he went to the best of the best. The Bible says that he was educated at Gamaliel's feet, who was the, the top educator, the top theologian of that day. And so Paul's writings can really, really kind of get in depth. I mean, if you want, how many of you know that that sometimes you kind of think you got living for God figured out? I mean, anybody? Nobody. All right. If you ever think you do, then go read the book of Romans because just when you think you've got everything lined out, the apostle Paul starts just ripping stuff because of his his theological understanding. Yet in that, what you find is is that there is this harmony throughout the Scripture. You, You find that there is unity between the writers of the Old Testament and the writers of the New Testament. The writers of the Old Testament are pointing to a day where Messiah is coming. The writers of the New Testament are telling us about what happened when Messiah came and how that you and I can live that life in freedom and abundance and all the things that God has. But you know what? It all goes hand in hand. Now I'm thankful, I, I, I'm grateful, I don't know about you, I'm grateful that I don't have to do some of the things that the Old Testament talks about. I mean, can you imagine this morning having to bring a sacrifice? I mean, you, you, you know, go out and tell the kids, hey kids, go out there and catch that sheep or that goat or, you know, we got to put the wagon on the back of the truck today. we we got to... Right? I mean, they had to bring a sacrifice. I mean, think about this, and, and watch this. If you had only sinned a little bit, you brought like a turtle dove. I mean, can you imagine the the greeters out at the door of the the church and a guy pulls up with an 18-wheeler and everybody goes, man, he's been sinning this week. Right? I mean, there's a lot of the ceremonial things. There's a lot of the the traditions of the Old Testament that the Word of God lets us know that Jesus came and He became our sacrifice and He fulfilled those things. But those were, the Bible says it this way it says that the Old Testament was a schoolmaster bringing us to Jesus Christ. In other words, the Old Testament is like when you go to elementary school or you go to high school and, it, and it's kind of preparing you for what your future is going to be. And then you go to college and, and you gain your education and then if you get you know, a doctorate degree or whatever, but then all of a sudden you are released from that and you move into what it is that you are called to do with your life. The Old Testament is not a dead book. We should not say, well, the Old Testament is is just, that's all passed away. No, Jesus said, not one jot nor one tittle. What he was saying is, not one comma nor one period of the law is going to pass away. He said, in fact, I came not to do away with it, I came to fulfill it. So the Old Testament gives us direction. The Old Testament gives us life. It speaks to us. But the New Testament reveals to us who Jesus Christ is and how that you and I, can move from that place of not understanding God, not understanding deity, to now beginning to relate to God who became man. That's what the New Testament is about, is to show you God in flesh. And God became flesh, the Bible said, and dwelt among us. All of a sudden, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, But that Word was made manifest unto us. And so you know what? I can relate to Jesus. That's what the New Testament is about. It's to help you to relate to Jesus to understand it. So there's unity, there's uniformity when you begin to study the Word of God. The second thing that I want to turn your attention to today is that there is scientific foreknowledge of the Bible. There are things in the Word of God that were stated by the word of God before man ever understood them. The, the, the nature of this argument goes like this. When you study the scripture, what you find is, is that the Bible had scientific proof before, or truths before man did. Now, I know every time that we start talking about the Bible, people say, well, you know, that thing about creation, that's a bunch of hooey, you know, the world was formed 37 billion years ago and all those things. And listen, I believe with all of my heart, it could have been 37 billion years ago, it could have been 137 billion years ago, but I still believe God spoke and it started. All right? There's no time with God, and so I, I, I don't sweat the small stuff. Now, some of you who are more scientific, you'll delve into that and figure it out. But here's what I know is that, that all every time that mankind thinks that he has found an error in Scripture scientifically, later proof shows that the Word was right. I mean, the, the Word of God is 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 truth it's life there are so many things that were unknown to mankind uh, that were stated hundreds of years before mankind discovered them I i mean remember that when when you understand scripture the writers of the word of god years and years in fact the book of isaiah the 40th chapter and the 22nd verse talks about the roundness of the earth and yet man thought that the earth was what flat. They thought if you went far enough, you'd just sail right off the edge. Uh, the, the book of Job, the, 20, the oldest book actually uh, of the Bible, the, the book of Job or the, the happening of the Bible, it, Job the 26th chapter talks about the suspension of the earth in space, that, that the earth was hanging there. Man didn't know that. We, we didn't know that for thousands and thousands of years. The book of Psalms talks about the currents that are inside the seas. It talks about The book of Job talks about the springs that are in the oceans. The book of Acts talks about that all nations are of one blood. Think about that. If you trace your DNA far enough back, we all came from one. But mankind didn't know that, but the Word of God knew that. How how can all of those truths be in the Word of God hundreds and hundreds and some of them thousands of years before they are discovered? By man, isn't it interesting that we think we discover things? We just you know it's it's like have you ever heard somebody this is a little side note, have you ever heard anybody say, I found God? Let me help you, God wasn't lost. Right? And so, oh, we had this great discovery. No, God knew about it before you did. God knew about it before the scientists did. God God put little things in his word just to let us know he's a little bit smarter than we are. He is truly the omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God. And his word bears that out. It proves it to us. The third aspect when we look at the Word of God that that can help you kind of put your feet down and and have a firm foundation are, are the prophecies that are fulfilled in the Bible. When you begin to read the Bible, you will find out that there are prophecies in the Old Testament that foretell events that don't happen for hundreds and hundreds of years. That are beyond the scope of human understanding. Now... How do the writers do that? Well, they were psychic. No, they weren't. Can I help some of you who, who believe more in the dark side than you do the light side? If you want to talk to a psychic, why should you have to go to them? You'll get it. It'll hit you. Right? Right? Remember when, when you all had all these, you know, dial 1-800-PSYCHE, and I kept saying, if, if I really want to talk to them, they ought to dial my number. If they're, all right? It's because the reason that the writers could do this, in fact, if you read Scripture, what you find is is that they attribute it every time to God. And God declares these evidences, and and He lets us know that they are proof of His existence and and His superiority over mankind and and over all the, what we refer to in Scripture as the heathen gods. God said, I'm I'm greater than all of those. I'll, I'll give you a few of them that are listed in Scripture. The book of Isaiah, the 13th chapter, talks about the fall of Babylon, which was 200 years before it happened. Think about that. Isaiah, the 19th chapter, verse 1 through 4, talks about the the destruction of Egypt, and it talks about how that it's really going to be basically a civil war that takes place. Guess what happened? Study study your history. Egypt fell basically because of civil unrest. The book of Zephaniah, which is one of those books you don't read unless you're reading the whole Bible, kind of tucked in there, right? The book of Zephaniah talks about the fall of Nineveh and that it was going to be utterly destroyed. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, Jonah went, and God said he was going to destroy it, and he didn't. Yeah, keep reading history, though. A couple of hundred years later, God did destroy it because of their disobedience to him. Uh, The the book of Ezekiel talks about the fall of Tyre. Uh, There are many, many examples in Scripture of prophecies that came to pass hundreds of years later. And then you start talking about the prophetic declarations of Scripture about the Messiah and there are literally hundreds of those scattered throughout history that as they are written in the Word of God and what you find is is that Jesus Christ any prophetic declaration of Messiah that was to come is fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ from where he was going to be born, how he was going to be born, where he was going to live, that he was going to even live in Egypt for a season. I mean, you go on and on and on. I read something years and years ago, and I don't even know where I saw it, but it was a a diagnostic had been done, and they said that the likelihood of any one person fulfilling all the prophetic declarations of Messiah was like covering the state of Texas four feet deep in silver dollars putting an X on one, and letting a blind man loose, and he gets to pick only one, and he picks that one. In other words, it's an astronomically impossible fulfillment. And yet, Jesus Christ, you read the Old Testament, Jesus Christ fulfilled every one of them. How? Because God inspired His Word. Why do we believe in the Bible? We believe in the Bible because we believe that God breathed it, and we believe there's evidence that shows it. The fourth thing, and I'll close with this today, the fourth aspect that I want to help you to see today is the impact that the Bible has had on civilization. The Bible has had an unbelievable impact. Through the years, God has allowed my family to travel in different places and, and uh We've been able to go to museums in, in a lot of different places, and it's astounding to me. We were just recently, Cher and I were just recently in Washington, D.C., and we went to a couple of museums. And, and it was astounding to me how many, especially of, of the old masters and, and, and the painters and the sculptors and all, how many of their paintings, how many of their sculpt, sculptures were so relevant to the Word of God? I mean, I was was astounded at how many of them had a biblical theme to them. And so the Word of God has impacted the arts, it's impacted music, it's impacted literature. I I mean, it's on and on and on. Our education system has been impacted by the Word of God. Our judicial system, it's it's interesting that we want to take God out of everything. Our judicial system in America is based on the Word of God. Now, we're getting further and further from that. That's one of the other sermons I'll be talking about. But it is. Even science itself has been impacted by the Word of God. You can't read history without understanding that as nations have risen, especially Western nations, and I'll go even further, especially the United States of America, you cannot disavow the connection of the rise of this great nation and the Word of God. They go. Listen, I don't care what they're telling us, they go hand in hand. And, and, and I want us to understand that. Let, let, me, let me just give you a quote. Franklin Roosevelt said something that I, I just want to quote to you. Um, he, he said this, We cannot read the history of our rise and development as a nation without reckoning with the place the Bible has occupied in shaping the advances of our republic. That's our president. That's President Franklin Roosevelt said that about America. Harry Truman said this, The fundamental basis of this nation's laws was given to Moses on the mount. The fundamental basis of our Bill of Rights comes from the teachings we get from Exodus and St. Matthew, from Isaiah and St. Paul. Somebody needs to tell somebody that right now. Don't be quiet. Uh, I'm going to be politically correct today, but come about three weeks and I won't be. (laughs) Not only has it impacted our nation and the world, but think about the millions of lives, the individual lives that have been impacted. It's changed people. The Word of God has motivated people to be missionaries, to leave everything they know and to go and to take the gospel across the world. It's literally been so powerful in people's lives that they've been willing to give their life for the cause that this Word talks about. I believe with all of my heart that the Bible can make you a better spouse. It can make you a better parent. It can make you a better friend. It can make you a better neighbor. It can make you a better employee or an employer. Why? Because the Word of God life-changing the Word of God is alive and powerful I want you to know today we believe in God's Word for all of those reasons but the greatest reason we believe in God's Word is because we have experienced what he can do in our life through what his Word tells us we have found that if we will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and we will give ourselves to him, that he will accept us, that he will change us, that he will conform us into his image, and that our life will be turned around. You say, Pastor, do you believe that if people become Christians, they'll be perfect? I believe one day when that paradise is brought back, I think we will be. But here's what I know is that so many of us have experienced life change because of what this Bible talks about. We have experienced so much that has been so good that we know that coming into relationship with what this whole Bible is talking about, and that is with Jesus Christ, that it's life-changing. And I don't know about you today. Maybe you're here. And you've, you came. Maybe you just came because you, somebody handed you a flyer or somebody told you about this series. And you said, you know what, I don't even know. That Bible thing, I don't know if I even believe in that. I hope today I've given you some evidence that it is true. But you know, above all, I hope today that as you've listened to me, that you've said, this God that he's talking about, that this Bible talks about, I want him in my life. I want Jesus Christ to become my Lord and my Savior.